Welcome to 2024. You're living in the future. When you thought about the future, this was what you thought about. Now, I was promised that by this time we'd have flying cars. I'm disappointed. We do have artificial intelligence that's threatening to wipe out the world, so some of the 80s movies were right. But this is the future. We are here. Another year has rolled over. 2023 is gone. 2024 is here. And one of the things a new year tends to bring is a sense of new opportunity or new hope. And of course, traditionally, a lot of people will make a New Year's resolution because there's this sense of like, new year, new me. I want to do something different. I want to change this. I want to do that. And anybody, anybody a New Year's resolution type person? Hands up. You make New Year's resolutions? Not a lot of goal-oriented people here, okay? I'm just kidding. Uh, you know what? Like, uh, they do say that at least half of the people who make New Year's resolution, it's about kind of superficial stuff in the sense of like, I want to lose weight. I want to get abs. That never works. I want to, you know, I want to do this. I want to do that. Um, but, but I have a suggestion as we head back into our series in the Sermon on the Mount, The Way of the Kingdom, as we get into Jesus's most important teachings, I want to make a suggestion based on what he's going to share with us in our text today. What if you make a New Year's resolution this year to worry less? What if your resolution this year is to worry less? That's the message of Jesus today. He says, do not worry. So as I said, we're back in our series, The Way of the Kingdom. Actually, last week in our online service, Pastor Chad got us back into uh, this series. We just have another month to go before we finish up the Sermon on the Mount. But uh, I want to do a little bit of recap on Pastor Chad's sermon, if you missed it, because it feeds straight into our passage today. Jesus told us that we should stop focusing on collecting accumulating, uh, storing up earthly treasures, money, possessions, cars, houses, wardrobes. These things are temporary. They can be lost. They can be stolen. And they do not come with you when you die. Instead, Jesus teaches us to build treasures in heaven, to focus on the things of God, to start accumulating that which will last beyond the grave. And so he framed his teaching in the context of service to a master. In Matthew 6, 24, the last verse of text from last week, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So Jesus creates this binary option. Either you're serving God or you're serving money and possessions, but you cannot do both. You can either serve God or you can focus on storing up wealth and treasure, but you can't do both. Now, I tend to think that we modern Western Christians like to try to do both. We generally assume that we can do both, and we're always working to try to work in both worlds to do both. We're trying to do something that Jesus says is impossible. And in the end, it's going to tear us apart. It's going to bring challenge and stress and worry. And we see how Jesus talks about it in this next passage. To be clear, Jesus isn't only talking about those of us who have millions or billions of dollars or those who are quote-unquote well-off according to the standards of the world. You can be dirt broke but still trying to serve money. If the pursuit of material goods, wealth, money, possessions, if that pursuit 
dominates your thoughts, if it dominates your actions and your priorities, then you have become enslaved to it. You're serving it and you're not serving God because you can't do both. And the key, as Pastor Chad talked about, to overcome the power that these possessions have over us is to be open-handed with what we have. Instead of constantly trying to accumulate more and take and grow our own sense of wellness, to share and to take what we have, as meager as it may be, and try to find ways to bless and serve and love others with it. In that way, we learn to be like God, who so loved us that he gave. And we break the power that possessions have over us. So all of this flows right into the passage this week, which I'll read right now. It's Matthew 6, 25 to 34. Jesus continues, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Lots going on here, but the big idea, Jesus' big point is, do not worry. End of sermon. Go and do likewise. It seems a simple statement, but not an easy thing to do. But as with the rest of the sermon, we, if we've, you've been following along, you have come to expect that what Jesus asks of us is not necessarily easy. It's not necessarily just something that comes naturally. But we also, as with the rest of the sermon, need to spend a little bit of time really understanding what exactly he is saying as we look at these words, do not worry. So, starting with a question. What does Jesus mean when he uses the word worry? Depending on your translation, it might say something like, do not be anxious about your life. And so different words, different synonyms are used to translate this word here. So uh, this is also the word that's used in Philippians chapter 4, a famous passage on prayer which says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your requests to God. So it's, again, it's the same word translated worry or anxious. We think about synonyms of worry for like uh, anxiety or stress or concern. Now, I, I risk speaking outside my expertise, so please give me some grace. But as I understand it, when we think about anxiety and worry, some people have anxiety disorders. And these are brought on from a lot of different factors. And just saying to that person, well, Jesus says, do not worry, doesn't help. Okay? 
We can't just give trite little sayings, especially not fully understanding the context and what Jesus means when he says, do not worry. Some anxiety disorders develop in mysterious ways. Some anxiety disorders develop because people have so many stressors in their life, so much challenge, so many things that are causing concern that their stress is peaked and peaked and peaked, and then there's just an imbalance that happens and has negative long-term effects. But the body's stress response is designed to be your friend. Your body goes into stress mode to focus on a problem or to avoid danger or get a time-sensitive task done. Athletes go into stress mode when they're chasing a ball or a puck. It gives them extra motivation, extra strength, extra burst of speed. If a bear jumps out of the bushes right beside you, you would hope that your body would go into stress mode because it'll trigger adrenaline. You'll get into fight or flight mode. It will help preserve your life in a dangerous situation. When you're facing a tight deadline at work or you're writing a last minute paper at school, you will go into stress mode and it will give you extra focus and productivity. These are ways God has designed us and this is a good thing. But again, when stress is constant, it creates an imbalance and creates long-term negative effects for people. And a lot of people deal with anxiety disorders and all kinds of different things. And so I just want to start with that to say that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is not talking about people who are struggling with anxiety and depression and just saying to them, don't worry. What are you worrying about? That is not where Jesus is going here. When Jesus talks about worry, he's using a word that is talking about the worry that you choose. That you're choosing to get worked up about something that you don't need to get worked up about. You're choosing to focus your time and your energy and your resources on secondary issues that should not be of primary concern. You don't have to worry about whether your favorite sports team is going to do well in the playoffs. You choose to do that. You don't have to worry about whether or not you're going to be able to get through this difficult level in your video game. But you're getting all stressed out about it and freaking out about it because you choose to worry about it. This is the kind of worry Jesus is referring to. And this word refers to a personal state where you are being pulled in opposite directions. There's an old execution technique. I don't know when it was last done. Uh, Maybe you've seen this in a movie or read about it, but uh, the victim was tied, each of their limbs tied to a horse, and the horses are sent running in four opposite directions. That's the image I think of when Jesus talks about worry. You're being pulled apart, strained and stressed in opposite directions from what you should be focused on in the first place. And we've all had that feeling of being pulled apart from worry. There's a story in Luke 10 where Jesus visits his friend's house, Mary and Martha. And Jesus is in the living room and he's, he's teaching and there's people there and Mary, the one sister, is sitting at his feet, which is a, a figure of speech to say she's learning from him. She's one of his disciples. She's getting his teaching. He's sharing about the kingdom of God. It's wonderful. But at the same time, Martha is in the kitchen. She's making sandwiches, she's brewing coffee, she's doing the dishes, and Martha gets all worked up, and she comes into the living room and actually gets mad at Jesus. And she says, Jesus, tell Mary to come help me. And Jesus says this, you'll hear the exact same word, it's the same Greek word as well, Luke 10, 41 to 42, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. And then he says, Mary has chosen what is 
better. In other words, Martha, you've chosen to be worried about things you don't need to be worried about right now. Mary has made a better choice. She's focused on what's most important right now, and she's not being pulled apart like you are. Jesus didn't care in that moment about sandwiches and coffee. He wanted to spend time with his friends. He wanted to teach them about the kingdom of God and be with them. Martha chose to worry. The same words also used in the parable of the sower. Do you know this famous parable? The, the, the farmer goes out and he spreads seed on all kinds of different soil. And on the healthy soil, the seed germinates and grows up and produces fruit and produces an abundant harvest that multiplies. But then on other types of soil, the results are less encouraging. One type of soil actually has thorns in it. And the seed germinates and starts to grow a plant. But as the plant grows, the thorns choke out its life. And Jesus says this in Matthew 13, 22. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries, same word, of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Here Jesus is really making a connection to these two ideas. The deceitfulness of wealth, the worries of this world, choke out the seed and make it unfruitful. You can't serve both God and money. Trying to do both is going to choke you out and make your life unproductive because you're going to be pulled in multiple directions, split apart, full of worry, and not focused on what is most important. So are you getting what Jesus is talking about when he uses the word worry? So, second question, how do we stop? How do we stop worrying? Because Jesus obviously saw it as a problem. That's why he put it in the Sermon on the Mount. So how do we stop Jesus? Well, he gives us all kinds of wonderful thoughts. Number one, we stop worrying by thinking. By thinking. Thankfully, Jesus doesn't just say, don't worry, don't think about it, just have faith, just, just go about your life without even thinking about it. No, he actually says to think. Let's read it again, verse 25 to 27. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? He says, he says life is more than about food and clothing. Food and clothing are necessary, but we don't eat food and wear clothing in order to be able to eat food and wear clothing. You know what I mean? The point, the end goal is not food and clothing. It's just a part of the process. The end goal is different. So by making those the priority, by worrying about them, Jesus says we're missing the point and we can't actually have a productive life. They should not be our greatest concern. So he says, think. Think about this. Look at creation. Look at the way God cares about creation. Look at the birds. Look around at nature. They don't have food farms or barns, yet somehow they survive. God makes sure they have food. And aren't you so much more important than the birds? He doesn't stop there. Verse 28, why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? 
So again, think, look at the flowers, look at what God has created here. He clothes them, he takes care of them, they're beautiful, but they don't have they don't have cloth looms, they don't have textile factories, yet they're clothed because God knows their needs and he cares for them. How much more does God love you and will care for you as well? So Jesus is saying the first step to overcome the pull and tear of worry in your life is to stop and think. It's to remind yourself that God loves you. It's to remind yourself that God is a provider. To remind yourself that God is a good father who wants to provide for his children. You know, my kids never worry about whether or not they will eat. They complain about what they do eat. It's just their job, right? But they never worry about whether they'll eat. Why don't they worry about whether they'll eat? Because they have parents who love them and will always make sure they have food. They never worry about whether or not they'll have clothes to wear. They might want different clothes or more clothes or whatever, but they'll never have to worry about whether or not they'll have clothes. Why? Because they have parents who know that they need clothes. And we want them to wear clothes that look good because otherwise it's embarrassing to us. <laughs> so we will provide what they need when they need. So, so our kids have complete faith in their parents to provide what they need. So they now get to focus on other things instead of food and clothing. The same principle that Jesus is saying, your father knows you need these things. Now more time could be spent here to provide some nuance because there's ways to abuse this teaching. The Bible also contains teachings about, about prudence and hard work. Jesus doesn't say, don't bother getting a job. Food will just show up at the door. Jesus doesn't say, just walk out of the house naked and God will miraculously put clothes on your body on the way to church. Okay, so it's easy to abuse this, but, but Jesus is talking against not just good planning and not just good wisdom, and he's not, he's not talking against being a provider for your family or for yourself. Jesus is warning against an inordinate focus and attention on things that are not the highest priority in the kingdom of God. Life is not ultimately about food and clothing. It is about so much more. So it is that so much more where our energy and attention needs to be primarily focused. So secondly, we stop worrying by remembering who your master is. Remember who your master is. Last week, Pastor Chad read the text that said, you cannot serve both God and money. You have to choose your master. And he encouraged us to ask this question, who will I serve? Who will I serve? If you choose to serve money, then it makes perfect sense to be worried about money all the time. I need to get more money. I need to save more money. I need to invest more money because that is what will please my master. But if my master is God, then my main priority is not on money. My main priority and focus is not on food. My main priority and focus is not on clothing. And we could add a whole bunch of things to this list. My main priority is not the material goods of this world. My main focus and priority is on the things of God. And remaining focused and prioritizing the things of God is what pleases my master. And here's why Jesus talks about how worrying pulls us apart and that, that image of the four horses pulling our limbs off. Because if you've chosen God as your master, 
but your, your focus and your priorities remain on possessions and material goods and, and, and food and clothing and money, it's going to tear you apart. Because you're trying to please God, but your actions reveal that you're trying to please the God of money. And so you're trying to do both, like I said at the beginning. You're trying to be like a lot of normal Western Christians who think we can do what Jesus says is impossible. But when we try to do that, it tears us apart. Or as Jesus said in the parable of the sower, we get choked out by the thorns and our flesh gets ripped apart and there's this feeling we can't do it all and we're struggling and straining. And there's a reason for that. Because we're worrying about things that we should not be focused on. You have to choose a master. Once you've chosen your master, you know what to give your attention to. And here's the promise. Jesus says your heavenly father knows that you need all these other things. So when you focus on what your master wants and what pleases your master, he will deal with the other things on your behalf. Now I experienced this personally in a very significant way. A couple years ago, we, we've lived here for not quite two and a half years, so about two and a half years ago, we were trying to buy a home in Abbotsford. And we sold our home in Penticton, and uh, the market was doing well there too, so we, we did well on that house. But moving west was the wrong direction, right? We could have gone to like Saskatoon and bought three houses, but we moved west. And so we came out here, and at that time, the market was white hot. There were way more buyers than homes, Prices had skyrocketed, and so we put an offer on one house, and there were 13 offers with ours, and we weren't anywhere near the top offer. So after, after we missed out on that house, we thought, like, we're, we're never going to get one. We're not, we're not going to get a house, and we were looking at stuff that was a little bit lower priced, and it was absolute, like, you had to bulldoze it, and we just, you know, what are we going to do? And I'm stressing and worrying, and then I was praying, and I realized something. I was talking to God and I said, you know what, God? You're the one who told us we had to move here. So this is officially your problem. (laughs) My master told me to move to become your pastor. And so that's what I said I would do. So the provision is his problem. And honestly, this was the conversation I had with him. I'm not exaggerating, but when I had that conversation, that I relaxed, like the stress just dropped. It was incredible. And within a couple weeks, we had purchased a home, and it was great. And again, you need to provide balance to this because we still had to look, we still had to work hard, we still had to give a good offer, we still had to do all the things necessary, but we knew that our master was going to provide for us because we were focusing on what our master asked us to focus on. <clears throat> Worry is a cruel master, but God is a loving father who provides for his kids. Third way we stop worrying is by giving your attention to what matters most. Verse 33, Jesus says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. If the priority isn't that inordinate focus on personal provisions, food, clothing, money, then what should I give my attention to? Jesus says, to his kingdom and his righteousness. Now, if you've been with us, this is what the whole Sermon on the Mount has been about. Jesus has been talking about righteousness the entire time. So all the information that we've learned about righteousness needs to be uploaded 
into this passage. Jesus has been building to this moment. This needs to be the priority and focus of your life, his kingdom and his righteousness. So let me recap a little bit for you. For Jesus, righteousness is not just about following the rules. Remember, he said you can technically not be a lawbreaker, but still be unrighteous. Because maybe you can technically not have murdered someone, but if you've been fantasizing about bad things happening to them, if you harbor anger and hatred in your heart towards someone, Jesus says you're a murderer in your heart and it's just as bad. Or you can technically not have committed adultery, but if you're harboring lust and desire and and covetousness towards someone else, then in your heart you're an adulterer. Jesus also says that, sure, you, you know, everybody knows how to love their friends and be kind to people who are kind to them, but true righteousness is when you learn how to love and forgive your enemies as well. So Jesus is saying righteousness is more than just following rules. Righteousness starts in the heart and, and, and focuses on motivations as well. These are issues of righteousness. He reminded us also that our spiritual acts, like giving an offering and prayer and fasting, it's not just that we're supposed to do these things, because some people do these things just to gain points with God or to impress other people. But Jesus says, no, the motivation why you do these things is important as well. These are issues of righteousness. And for Jesus, righteousness is about relationships. How's your relationship with your spouse, with your kids, with your neighbor? How's your communion with God? Is there sin that's, that's keeping you separated from people? Is there peace in the church? These are issues of righteousness. And these are the things that are supposed to get our greatest attention and most of our energy. So the million-dollar question is, do you think about issues of righteousness as much as you think about issues of food and clothing? Do you pursue issues of righteousness as much as you pursue issues of personal provision? Where is your attention and your pursuit? Now, my wife and I, we have uh, a weekly habit of meal planning. A lot of people do this. We think about, well, what meals are we going to eat for the next seven days? We figure out what ingredients we need for all those meals, dinners, breakfast, lunches, We write a grocery list, we go grocery shopping, and then we have our groceries for the week. It's just a normal way to plan. And so we think about issues of food, okay? And clothing, for our kids especially, because they grow, you know, they wear things out. We think about seasons, you know, going back to school or winter or summer clothes. We go through all the clothes they have, figure out what they need, make a list, go shopping, make sure they have what they need. We think about issues of clothing. This is not a bad thing. It's just normal because God is providing and we think about these things. But since we have plans for food and plans for clothing and plans for our budget, do we in the same way make plans for righteousness? Do we take the time and the thought and the focus to think about issues of righteousness in the same way that we think about issues of personal provision? Do I take time weekly to consider the anger in my heart that I have toward people and what I'm going to do about it? Do I take the time and, and, and do what's necessary to deal, deal with issues of lust in my heart? Do I have a plan for prayer and for giving and for fasting that isn't about gaining points or showing off, but about loving God and serving people? Or have I declared that God is my master, yet my energy and priority is only on issues of personal provision? If that's the case, it'll tear me apart. 
Now, as a pastor, I talk to people about this kind of stuff all the time, and this is just anecdotal, obviously. But I talk to people and I ask, like, how's your prayer life? Are you in the scriptures? How are you doing with Christian community, about getting involved in a connect group, about being engaged in the church? Do you have accountability with someone? Are you pursuing issues of righteousness? And if people aren't pursuing issues of righteousness, more often than not, the reason is, I don't have time. I don't have time to be in the scriptures. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to be in a connect group. We've got all these activities. My kids have this, and we're away every weekend because of this thing. Do you know what Jesus calls that? Worry. You're worrying about things that are less of a priority than the priorities Jesus gave you. Or even when it comes to budget. Oh, it's the convicting part of the sermon. Even when it comes to budget and, and talking to people about, hey, are you, are you helping with the provision to, to resource the church, the ministries of the church? Wow, just, yeah, we just can't afford it. And I know there are exceptions. But Jesus calls that worrying as well. Because I know, I know the lure of all the things that our money goes to. But so often than not, we're worrying instead of focusing on God's kingdom and his righteousness, not trusting him to supply our needs. Jesus offers us healing from worry. When we make God our master and pursue the priorities of our master, the things that please our master, we don't have to worry about the things that other people spend all their time and energy worrying about because it'll tear you apart and won't end well. Jesus' encouragement is not just a command, by the way. It's an invitation. It's not just a command. It's an invitation into a whole different way of living, a whole different way of understanding where provision comes from and what priorities life has before us. He says, start by thinking. Remind yourself that God is good and he loves you and he is able to provide your daily bread. Remember who your master is. If money is your master, go ahead and spend all your energy there. But if God is your master, be about your master's business and give your attention to what matters most. So when you think about a new year, and if you're a New Year's resolution kind of person, or if you're just someone who wants to bring a different focus to your year, maybe your resolution and your focus should be to worry less. Worry less in the sense of the way Jesus talks about it, by giving your highest priority to issues of righteousness in the kingdom of God. Righteousness in your relationships. What would this look like in your relationships? What would it look like to, to prioritize the kingdom of God and righteousness in work? What would it look like to prioritize the kingdom of God and his righteousness in your busy schedule? What would it look like to prioritize the kingdom of God and his righteousness in your budget in 2024? Seek the things of the kingdom first and watch as your Father provides the rest. And ask the band to come back up. We're going to spend a few moments kind of praying and meditating on Jesus' teachings here. And we'll end with a song of declaration, which is really a song that I think is just a great way to start the new year, to declare that Jesus is our Lord, to declare that God is our Master, to make that declaration. If you've chosen your master, this is a way to do it today, to sing this song with all of your heart, 
but then asking Jesus to help you take that declaration and turn it into everyday focus and attention on the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Would you stand with me as we pray through a couple of things? I just encourage you to get in some sort of posture. And I I like to put my hands out like this. This is a way of just kind of like humbly submitting myself before God, but it also puts me in a posture of receiving from him. Like symbolically, I'm putting my hands out to give him what I have, give him my priorities, my attitudes, my thoughts, my stresses and worries, but I also am in a position to receive from him what he wants to give me, what he wants to do in my life. So I encourage you to do this along with me. Father in heaven, we start by thanking you for the year past. And Lord, whether it felt like uh, a year of um, growth and life and strength, or whether it felt like a year of challenge and difficulty and pain, Lord, we give you glory, we give you honor, we give you thanks that we stand here today. We're in your presence. You've given us this church family. You've offered us forgiveness and grace. You've given us the Holy Spirit. Jesus, you died for all of our sins. You have blessed us in every way with everything that matters. And so we just declare our trust and our thanksgiving to you. And God, as we look at the year ahead, we're asking you, Lord God, to do what only you can do. Lord, fill us with faith in you to trust that you are good. You are a good father who desires to provide for his kids. And so God, help us to not stress about the things we don't need to stress about, to not worry about the things we don't need to worry about. Lord, we declare you to be our master, our Lord, our savior. And so God, we know that you will take care of what you have promised to take care of. God, help us to be about our master's business. So God, we give you our worries. We give you our concerns. We give you our anxieties and ask you to take them to relieve us of these stresses, to relieve us of these things that would burden us, tear us apart, or choke us out, Lord God. And we ask, Lord Jesus, for your yoke, which you say is easy and light. We ask for the life that is truly life, found not in possessions, found not in the pursuit of earthly things, but found in a faith and a trust and a peace in you. So God, we thank you for all this. And we ask that you would help us to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness in 2024. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's sing this song together in declaration to our Lord.